Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. All right, run with the handoff that we're given. Man, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Man, I wish today's message, I really do, I wish today's message could just keep going on that kind of front. But what if I can relate to those of you that kind of say, you know, it sounds tough. Not real sure I, I want to take that handoff and run with it. I can honestly relate with the topic of today's message. Jesus is going to be trapped by the Pharisees to address divorce today. Among a couple of other topics of what I'm calling family matters. Yeah, that's a, that's a nod to the old sitcom, Steve Urkel and all, for those of you old enough to remember that. But full disclosure, Pastor Jeff Lucas preaching over at the Fort Collins campus and myself, we're kind of lamenting a little bit that we have to tackle this topic. And here's why. We don't want to hurt anyone. We deeply don't want to be insensitive or careless in talking about divorce because there are many of us, my own family tree included, that has a long-lasting pain related to this. And especially if that word divorce has hit a nerve for you this morning, that's also why we need to be completely faithful to whatever it is our God has to say to us. It's because this is such a point of sensitive pain for many people that Jesus does talk about it. That leads me to what I think is really good news, that Timberline continues to faithfully engage the whole of Scripture setting it up on weekends and then encouraging each of us to go well beyond it in engaging scripture. What is it that Jesus, the perfect measure of grace and truth, has to say on this? So because of all that, I don't wanna take an issue first approach. Like, well, I guess we're talking about divorce, so let's, let's start there. I wanna take a Mark first, Jesus first approach and then go on from there. So we'll be in Mark Chapter 10, picking up in verse 1, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, this is a great weekend to follow along, take notes, it'll be up on the screens if you don't have those things ready. Chapter 10, verse 1, and he, Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them. Male and female, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast 
to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again on this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This challenge, this question from the Pharisees is not a sincere one. They themselves knew that the matter of divorce is incredibly tricky, if not impossible to navigate. Jesus is gonna upset somebody here. This is a trap. He's gotta upset somebody one way or another with his answer. Divorce was permitted. Moses allowed for divorce. The Pharisees allowed for divorce. The issue was on what grounds? And Deuteronomy 24 is the central text here. If you're taking notes in your Bibles, in the margin next to this, put Deuteronomy 24. This is what they're drawing upon. And see, there were two interpretation schools at that time. And the Pharisees knew that both of them were flawed, and if Jesus leaned towards one or the other, he'd be trapped. The first school of interpretation was under a rabbi called Shammai. And his conservative interpretation on divorce was that the only valid cause for divorce was adultery. Under those conditions, not including any aspect of abuse or neglect, but under adultery alone, divorce was permissible. By the way, As we just start to talk about this, notice how depersonalized it is talking about something like adultery in an impersonal sense. If adultery is committed in any relationship, it's incredibly personal, incredibly deep, and dealing with it just on an academic sense is quite insensitive. The second school of interpretation was under Rabbi Hillel, who asserted that biblical divorce was permissible if anything, anything at all, was not to the husband's liking. This was referred to as for any cause divorce. No joke. One rabbi's interpretation of that even read, if a man found another fairer than she, he would have biblical grounds for divorce. This is where the Pharisees set their trap. Who do you side with, Jesus? And hopefully we can see that the depersonalized, uncaring, academic-only approach is heartless. And such a low view of marriage is abusive. What is the heart of God on this matter? Quite the question. That's why they threw it at Jesus. Good luck navigating this one. But Jesus doesn't just know the word of God or know how to interpret the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. There is no false interpretation or out of context quoting in Jesus's mind or his mouth. I've said it before. If you wanna know what scripture means, start with Jesus and go out from there. So when Jesus takes on this challenge, notice he goes all the way back to Genesis. Jesus recalls God's heart. He goes way past Deuteronomy 24 and the law, and he says, let me tell you about the heart of God. When he first created male and female for this union, 
Why does Jesus go all the way back there? Because he was there. Jesus isn't just recalling memorized scripture when he quotes Genesis. Jesus is going, I was there at the very first God-instituted marriage. I can tell you what it's supposed to be about. And then as far as Deuteronomy was concerned, there's not a command or requirement for divorce. It's permitted. And so rather than elevating divorce, Jesus, in the midst of the Pharisees' attempted trap, first elevates the original intention and heart of God in the union of marriage. That's the starting point. This is God's institution. And then from there, God's law in dealing with the marital union of a husband and wife remains consistent, untweaked by Jesus, recognizing that here's God's intention, but, but do people always follow God's intention? No. And so here's what God allows for when that kind of breaks apart. And so Jesus wants to ensure, the law wants to ensure that there are parameters set around this matter of divorce so that it's never dealt with lightly or arbitrarily or abusively. Now, in this culture, on that point abusively, the protections of a valid divorce would especially apply to women. We hear it just on the, the way the Pharisees are talking about it, that a man gives the certificate of divorce to the woman. The woman has no rights. The man can just apparently, on a whim, say, I found another fairer than you. We're done. And she has no hope, no future. Not to ensure that victims of abuse and neglect like this are not subject to just the whims of spouses that would indefinitely wreck their future. What does God do in that? What does God's law allow for in that? God ensured then, and he still does, that even those that uncaring society and legislation and law might cast to the side, that God sees them and picks them up and says, you do have a future. And Jesus, choosing to turn the matter back to God's heart and God's intentions, as opposed to just the Pharisees' trap, he repositions the topic of conversation. What is allowed in divorce may be different than what is divinely intended. Jesus wants to talk a lot more about that. As he talks about marriage, Jesus sets the foundation as a divine institution, Marriage is not merely a social construct or a, or a higher level of relationship for people or something that cultures, regardless of how enlightened or advanced they may view themselves, can define or redefine. In the heart of God, marriage is the highest and most important relationship that those who choose to enter into it will ever have. Now, I hope you heard my careful words right there those that choose to enter into it. Not all choose it. And elsewhere, Scripture shares God's intent for righteous singleness, not only as a valid choice, but as a celebrated, valued calling. Don't miss that, church, or we will force people into health, unhealthy this or that decisions. That's not fair and not part of God's heart. We have to uphold the value, the high value of righteous singleness as a call. 
But for those who do choose it, marriage is the highest relationship, even above that of parents and children, which is hard for us, especially in our culture, to kind of fathom. But marriage is such a high institution because by the choice of God, marriage is rooted in and models the gospel and God's relationship with the church. Marriage is rooted in and models the gospel and God's relationship with the church. A while back, um, I was officiating a wedding and, and uh, my wife was with me and at the end of the wedding, I kind of met up with her to get my report card, you know, how'd I do? And uh, she smirked, it's always a good sign. Um, and she said, well, you certainly have a high view of marriage. <laughs> Not a bad report card. Ever since Genesis and all throughout the Bible and into Revelation, those of you who have journeyed through Revelation with us know this, that marriage is instituted, originated by God. Genesis tells us that. And it's part of how God has chosen for all of eternity to relate to his creation, his people, Revelation. Marriage is how God has chosen to relate to us. And to show the world, those that enter into marriage, to show the world what God is like. So yes, I have a high, solid view of marriage. I get that from this. And to begin to turn the corner on this first section of today's passage, God's heart and intent is not for divorce. Why would he intend and form something, institute a marital union between two people in order for it to break? So when he moves inside the house, now more detailed with his disciples, Jesus continues to elevate marriage. He doesn't do away with the permissiveness of divorce. Just because I say marriage is God's intent, well, what happens when circumstances kind of thwart God's intent? Does that ever happen? Of course it does. Does that mean it's the fault of one person or another? I don't know. We gotta take it on a personal case-by-case basis. What we're not gonna do is assume a one-size-fits-all answer that's unpersonal. That's what the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus into. I can say that if God's intent and heart for marriage is not for divorce, that doesn't mean it's not permissible. That doesn't mean it's not something that God allows for because his intent was somehow somewhere thwarted. And when Jesus talks more with his disciples about it, he actually talks about the breaking of that, the heartbreaking breaking of that union as adultery. Who can presume to speak flippantly or just academically or impersonally when it comes to that kind of pain and that kind of depth? Even Jesus's own father, because of the suspected pain of unfaithfulness, once he un heartbreakingly considered divorce, Matthew 1.19. So listen, when we deal with case by case, personal matters of what is permissible and what happens when good intentions of God don't pan out in people's lives, please know that God is there too. You are not somehow operating outside of God's will. God is there too. And what you need is to lean more into him. You need to do what the disciples did when they became more and more perplexed by Jesus and what he was saying. You need to lean more into him and more into his church and say, 
I see what Jesus is saying. How does that apply to my life? That's what we should be doing whenever we come across scripture, especially the most sensitive and raw parts of what God has to say, the parts that that make our blood pressure spike when we hear the topic. What's the heart of God on that? Here's my hope on this sensitive first topic today. I would hope that people would ask that question, how does this, the heart of God, meet me in my situation? And I would hope that this service actually releases more questions than answers. You're not gonna hear from me some heartless, impersonal, one-size-fits-all answer because your unique story, what's happened in the intricacies, is not dismissed by God. He wants to enter into that with you. He wants you to come around the local church, this church, the resources of the local church, to lean more into the question, how does this fit in light of my life? As one point of resource in preparation for this weekend, Timberline Church has worked hard to populate The Well. The Well is an online resource center for extra message-related content like this with helpful resources as starting points. For me, I found a message from Pastor Brent Cunningham especially helpful, and that'll be available on this page on our website. It's timberlinechurch.org slash the well. As always, visit that for, for leaning more into the topic. What are more resources, ways that I can engage on this? Because here's the thing. If the people of God are more interested in how the life and love of Jesus can apply to my, lives, I, my life, I think that's the perfect question. I love how Tremper Longman says it, and I'm gonna read this slowly and carefully, and then we'll continue on with this passage. He says this, the church should take from this passage that the preparation and preservation of lifelong loving marriages are the goals God desires for his people and ones that must be relentlessly pursued. God is always the greatest measure of perfect grace and perfect truth, never erring one way or another. Lean into him on that, especially in the hardest pieces of life. So real quick right here, God, I pray over everybody engaging in this sensitive topic. I pray, God, we need your spirit to discern all of this. We need your spirit to pay attention to the most sensitive, difficult parts of our lives. Lead people to lean more into you, God. Amen. Okay, shorter section, uh, but still in the arena of family matters. So let's continue. Chapter 10, verse 13. And they crowd uh, crowd around him, were bringing children to him, Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. It was customary for for people to bring two great figures, children, 
so that kind of like they could say, hey, may what God has given me and blessed me with, may it overflow to you. I like that. I kind of see that in the metaphor between what Diane had done in handing the ministry off to Anne and what Anne has now done to Janessa and to this church family. Wait, what God has blessed me with, may it overflow to you. And the disciples here, they were not doing anything aggressive. They were, they were trying to protect Jesus from interruptions. That's what they saw these kids at. The, the show of Jesus, the main point was going on. These interruptions need to be muted. But especially coming off the content that we just covered, how do you think our God views people that others view as merely interruptions? Yet again, as he did in the passage Pastor Foth preached on a couple of weeks ago with Jesus embracing the children Jesus shows us God's heart for the overlooked and the devalued people. His love bursts out to reach them. Don't misjudge or devalue these little ones because they're they're not contributing to the world by your standards. These little ones are kingdom citizens. Don't keep them from the king. And you and I in our culture, we go, yeah, yeah. Let the children come to Jesus. That's a picture that doesn't clash with our worldview like it did in theirs. We've compensated, in many ways overcompensated for the value of youth in our lives. But let me ask you this. Who is it in our world, in our sphere of influence that is overlooked? We're overlooking someone, I guarantee that. It's not like the whole realm of history, all different societies has always had pockets of people that they devalue and overlook, but somehow you and I have finally arrived and we don't overlook anyone. It may or may not be children, but who is it we are overlooking? Who is it we are deeming less important to which the king would say, they are a kingdom citizen. Treat them like it. Where are the overlooked today? Where are the vulnerable? I think I see a lesson in the life and love of Jesus in this. A model disciple of Jesus sees and embraces the vulnerable. I'm hoping we could use this as a what would Jesus do or who would Jesus see challenge. I'm guessing these are not the people you feel most comfortable around. Otherwise, they're probably not overlooked. I'm guessing these are the people that you need to be challenged. You see them or overlook them in a certain way. How does Jesus see them? And how can I follow his lead and take this challenge personally, even if a little uncomfortably? A model disciple of Jesus sees and embraces the vulnerable. So now turning to the last section of the passage, and in comes one more super relevant aspect of family matters. We've covered Jesus's heart for marriage and remarriage, divorce, and then children, the overlooked, and now money. (laughs) But don't worry, he's not just interested in money. Those of you that felt a little spike in blood pressure again. (laughs) 
Oh, he is interested in money. It is about money, but it's not just about money. It's about unreserved discipleship. Unreserved discipleship. Verses 17 through 31. Let's read all the way through the rest of today's passage. And as he, Jesus, was getting, setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You must know the commandments, his commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And Come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not impossible with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children in lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, I know we're tackling a lot with this last last section. We had to place a lot of clarity and sensitivity on the first section. But here, Mark is really clear. Jesus saw this rich man. He knew him intimately, knew his sincerity. And because he perfectly knew that the security of this guy's wealth was the only thing and a big thing, keeping him from unreserved discipleship. So when Jesus said to him, go and sell everything, it was a specific challenge to this man's idol, a specific command. And that may or may not be ours too the security of wealth. Do not take this, go and sell everything, as a unilateral radical call to generosity. Also, don't think that God won't call you on the one thing you don't want to give him. He is after everything. Especially that one thing that you're withholding from him. 
And when in love, note that his response to the man comes once again in a personal connection in love. Jesus called upon the only thing that this man had not surrendered to his lordship. And his face fell. This man walked away disheartened. In love, Jesus had hit his biggest, most sensitive nerve, his point of security, his idol. What's yours? Maybe it is wealth, security. Maybe it's children, parenting. Maybe the only thing you haven't surrendered completely and fully over to God is preparing for or preserving your marriage. Maybe it's something else. Is there anything that Jesus might say, following me means I want it all? I want it all. I want you to surrender everything. That one thing that you're most reluctant is the one thing I'm gonna call upon you to give and entrust to me. And even though this man turns away, disappointed, disheartened, Jesus turns to his disciples to kind of right any wrongs in the room as he's done before with the other two family matters. He says, man, how difficult it is for people to surrender that one thing right? You and I, I know there's not a whole lot of amens coming in a message like this, but you and I could probably agree. It is so difficult to surrender that one thing that gives us a sense of security and joy and richness in life. Surely an all-loving God that is for me and for my good wouldn't ask me to surrender that. How difficult is that? I know it's difficult. In fact, Jesus knows it's difficult. And he continued, didn't he? He didn't just say, that's that's tough. That's a high bar that I'm asking. He says, how difficult it is for those that have idols of wealth to surrender them and opt for unreserved discipleship. In fact, he said, it's beyond difficult. It's impossible. (laughs) It's impossible. With people, surrender like that, it's impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. I gotta have that on the screens. We gotta have that as an extra simple final outline point. That what is humanly impossible is possible with God. This right here is the mega point of this entire Family Matters sermon. Allow that to flow over everything that we have talked about today, from marriage to embracing the neglected to personal sacrifice. When things are not only hard, but even impossible by sheer willpower, all things are possible with God. To conclude these weighty family matters, Jesus lifts our heads and our hearts. Verses 27 through 31. Whatever you have surrendered over to God, your time, your volunteering, your giving, whatever you have sacrificed and given away to Jesus for unreserved discipleship, whatever you've laid down at that altar is seen and rewarded and returned to you enormously a hundred times over. 
Whenever you have taken the handoff and placed yourself last in the world's eyes, last in sacrificing your time to serve, even your relationships that may have kept you from following Jesus, you are not alone. In the eyes of the kingdom, in the eyes of the great cloud of witnesses, you are considered first. The last in the eyes of the world find them first in the eyes of the kingdom. Or the most well-compensated, highly recognized and celebrated people feeling sacrifice like the inconspicuous faithful follower, not much recognized or celebrated by the world. That's the incredible upside down way of the kingdom. Whatever you have sacrificed is enormously returned to you. The lowly are lifted up. The poor are made rich. The humbled are made first and the first are humbled. The hurt are healed. Jesus is not just a distant, cold teacher. He is among his people, the good and the bad, speaking directly and specifically to us all. So I wonder if like the rich man in today's account, if anything we've encountered here has hit that nerve for you. Hit that sweet spot, that point of sensitivity. I wonder if there's a wrestling match of sorts in your heart wondering, why should I let this message sink in? Like we said at the very beginning in terms of taking the handoff from Anne or my own struggle with this sensitive passage, what if I just don't want to? Sounds hard. Why should I relentlessly pursue unity in my relationships, marriage, if that applies? Why should I allow the lowly to get my attention and my embrace? Why should I give up everything, especially the things that make me rich and secure? Why should I? Two reasons. First, because you will be made much happier and rich in this age. We see that in Jesus' response to Peter in verse 30. No one who has sacrificed will not be rewarded. Everyone who has sacrificed to follow my lead in this time will receive a hundredfold reward. You'll be rewarded a hundred times rich in this age, in this life. Much more joy lasting joy, much more satisfaction, 100 times over than anything you can pursue on your own. That's reason one. Reason two, because you are living a faith beyond this life. All kinds of riches and recognition and rewards in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says, oh, I know you can't get that picture, but it's so worth it in the age to come. I know it's hard for us to see sacrifice like that, but I want to lean into that, and I want to pray that over you. So let's pray together. Jesus, allow us to entrust our whole entire selves to you for our joy, for the way that we see others, 
for the strength to maintain unity and relationships when we just can't on our own. God, I want to especially pray for any nerves that today's message touched. We need your spirit in us and through us concerning marriage and relationships and the overlooked. Maybe people that feel called to lay their time and their energy down to step into Timber Kids ministry, to surrender to you, God, anything that is keeping us from unreserved discipleship. Worship to you, Jesus, is worth it. The life that you've called us to is worth it. And for sure, your kingdom eternal is worth it. Allow us to surrender all in unreserved discipleship to you. What is impossible with our own efforts is possible by your spirit in us and through us. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.